I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we're going to continue our series on scene. Episode two. Or three. Because we had an introductory episode, and then we talked about Elizabeth Strout, and now we're this. Okay. So. There you go. Yeah. Episode three. All right. But first, what are you working on? What am I not working on? <laughs> You just happened to catch me on a particularly busy day today, but I am working on a number of things, and the one that is probably most pertinent to our current podcast, actually, is that I've also been reading a book about, so I've been doing a lot with comedy, and so I've actually been sort of collecting comedy exercises and things to sort of think about. And have I actually got down to writing and doing that? No. But I've got a fantastic collection of comedy writing exercises. That's fantastic. I also love that that you're sort of you're doing math, climate change, and comedy. I think those three go together. Like uh, clearly and obviously. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I am... Um, in my exploratory expansive phase, I am noticing. And one of the things I noticed today was that I was, I realized as I was doing my morning pages that I was misunderstanding your assignment Mm -hmm. to notice. And that partly because you were like, take 10 minutes and just notice. And it reminded me of Natalie Goldberg's free writing exercises where you write like, I see, I see, or I notice. I noticed that my toenail is a little too long and digging into the toe (laughs) next to it. I notice my bangs cover my eyes now. Um, And so I realized, wait a minute, this is not what Angie means. And so um, that's kind of exciting because you mean more like notice what you're thinking about. Notice what your obsessions are. Notice what your, your sort of intellectual triggers are notice yeah you know and basically you're going to be the ideas that we're talking about right now the exercise you're building is sort of an idea bank and the natalie goldberg i think for the most part is probably awesome for getting into what we're going to talk about today those that that scene level detail right right so really that's a great continued skill it's also a meditative practice hers right but i think the other thing that I meant with I noticed is getting to those topics that really drive you, that are going to be the things that make you want to commit to a long-term project like a novel. And if you're writing about something you don't really care about, it's going to be really hard to do. And I think sometimes when you're like, oh, I'm not sure what I want to write about, having the time to sort of notice what keeps catching your attention on a larger scale, um, Allows you to kind of narrow in on the things that are important to you. Great. So, and also you said I could read, so that always makes me happy. Yes, I did say you could read. (laughs) I mean, that it counts, that it counts. Reading counts. Yes, and as writers, everyone agrees that reading counts. (laughs) Ooh, it's like chocolate. Mm -hmm. Speaking of reading, we are going to talk about a scene from The Nickel Boys, the Pulitzer Prize winning, Colson Whitehead's second Pulitzer Prize winning novel. Right, and then we're picking a scene that really uh, is not too far along in the narrative at all, so uh, so we're not going to be... Running into that question of spoiler alert, however, uh, it's been out for a couple years now, so... Yeah, but we were going to do a a scene that was a big, giant spoiler, 
mm-hmm. or involved discussing a big giant spoiler, and we we are not. So, so you can thank us later. Yeah. <laughs> so a few quick reminders. Um, after we discuss the scene, we are going to encourage you to write to take this as a writing exercise. But that does not mean you. We expect you to incorporate any of the discussion in any formal way. Uh, just go to the page and trust the process and write. And this discussion also could be useful in revision. So Absolutely. thinking more consciously about these elements later, but don't ever let them trip you up when you're on the page. Okay. So are we going to talk about what we think are the elements of the scene are before we read the scene? Yeah, just do a brief overview of what we're going to be looking at. Um, okay. Yeah. So a brief overview of the scene elements. So a scene has a shape, a beginning, a middle, and an end, because it is driven by a character who wants something. So one of the things we'll look at is, does this character want something? Uh, And that they have a goal and obstacles of some kind. Then the scene must have a reason to be there in the first place, a story purpose. So that purpose um, should dramatically show or offer new information. And it also gives us information about the character and sort of move, moves along your reader's understanding of that. And then the last one is that that's when we're just when we were talking about getting into that acute focus on detail. So your Natalie Goldberg work happens <laughs> at, at that level. Maybe, maybe it does. Yes. So, all right, great. So um, this scene, we, we've got, we've marked it at the end here. This scene starts here. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is page 14 of The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. And I'm going to read the scene, and the scene is a couple of pages. Mm-hmm. Yep. Elwood was 12 when the encyclopedias appeared. One of the busboys dragged a stack of boxes into the kitchen and called for a powwow. Elwood squeezed in. It was a set of encyclopedias that a traveling salesman had left behind in one of the rooms upstairs. There were legends about the valuables that rich white people left in their rooms, but it was rare that this kind of plunder made it down to their domain. Barney the cook opened the top box and held up the leather-bound volume of Fisher's Universal Encyclopedia AA to BE. He handed it to Elwood, who was surprised at how heavy it was, a brick with pages edged in red. The boy flipped through, squinting at the tiny words, Aegean, Archimedes, Argonaut and had a picture of himself on the front room couch copying words he liked. Words that looked interesting on the page or that sounded interesting in his imagined pronunciations. Corey the busboy offered up his find. He offered up his find. He didn't know how to read and had no immediate plans to learn. Elwood made his bid. Given the personality of the kitchen, it was hard to think of anyone else who'd want the encyclopedias. Then Pete, one of the new dishwashers, said he'd race him for it. Pete was a gawky Texan who'd started working two months prior. He was hired to bust tables, but after a few incidents, they moved him to the kitchen. He looked over his shoulder when he worked, as if worried about being watched, and didn't talk much, although his gravelly laughter made the other men in the kitchen direct their jokes toward him over time. Pete wiped his hands on his pants and said, We got time before the dinner service, if you're up for it. The kitchen made a proper contest of it, the biggest yet. A stopwatch was produced and handed to Len, the gray-haired waiter who'd worked at the hotel for more than 20 years. He was meticulous about his black serving uniform and maintained that he was always the best-dressed man in the dining room, putting the white patrons to shame. When, when his, with his attention to detail, he'd make, he'd make a dedicated referee. 
two 50-plate stacks were arranged after a proper soaking supervised by Elwood and Pete. Two busboys acted as seconds for this duel, ready to hand over dry replacement rags when requested. A lookout stood at the kitchen door in case a manager happened by. While not prone to bravado, Elwood had never lost a dish-drying contest in four years and wore his confidence on his face. Pete had a concentrated air. Elwood didn't perceive the Texan as a threat, having outdried the man in prior competitions. Pete was, in general, a good loser. Len counted down from ten, and they began. Elwood stuck to the method he'd perfected over the years, mechanistic and gentle. He'd never let a wet plate slip or chipped one by setting it on the counter too quickly. As the kitchen men cheered them on, Pete's mounting stack of dried plates unnerved Elwood. The Texan had an edge on him, displaying new reserves. The onlookers made astonished noises. Elwood hurried, chasing after the image of the encyclopedias in their front room. Len said, stop! Elwood won by one plate. The men hollered and laughed and traded glances whose meaning Elwood would interpret later. Harold, one of the busboys, slapped Elwood on the back. You were made to wash dishes, Slick, the kitchen laughed. Elwood returned volume AA through BE to its box. It was a fancy reward. You earned it, Pete said. I hope you get a lot of use out of them. Elwood asked the housekeeping manager to tell his grandmother he was going home. He couldn't wait to see the look on her face when she saw the encyclopedias on their bookshelves, elegant and distinguished. Hunched, he dragged the boxes to the bus stop on Tennessee. To see him from across the street, the serious young lad heaving his freight of the world's knowledge was to witness a scene that might have been illustrated by Norman Rockwell if Elwood had had white skin. At home, he cleared Hardy Boys and Tom Swift's from the green bookcase in the front room and unpacked the boxes. He paused with G.A., curious to see how the smart men at the Fisher Company handled Galaxy. The pages were blank, all of them. Every volume in the first box was blank except for the one he'd seen in the kitchen. He opened the other two boxes, his face getting hot. All the books were empty. So okay. we, we stopped there, and we, we actually feel like we've gone beyond the end of the scene. So we'll talk about mm-hmm. what is a scene and where does the scene end. All right. So our first uh, element is a scene has a shape, a beginning, a middle, and an end, because it is driven by a character who wants something, has a goal of some kind, and obstacles that thwart that goal. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the things we really kind of want to talk about is where where is the beginning, middle, and end of the scene so, um, so who is the character who wants something? Elwood, clearly Elwood, and he wants an encyclopedia. And I did the set of this incredible set of encyclopedias. And one of the things I think is important is that sometimes when we when we sort of are ask ask ourselves like, what does the character want? We get really abstract. To be happy, to to change. You know, we think in these sort of philosophical or abstract terms, and it's so much more powerful. And I would honestly so and and. I think this is a great illustration of when we say every scene is about what your theme is about. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want, he's not pegging for something that isn't really intrinsic to who this character is. Right. He is someone who reads, who loves learning, who, you know, this is a prize. Right. This is a character who all the way through wants an education and, Mm -hmm. and faces many, many obstacles repeatedly. And so this is one way he tries to get himself this 
this education. Right. right. And so if you're a person who's working on, say, a memoir, sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know what I wanted in the scene or whatever. If you were working on a memoir, let's say this was an actual, you know, taking right, from like somebody's life. Elwood's writing the book. Elwood's <laughs> writing the book. The, this scene, because again, they talk about plunder coming down, right? There's mm-hmm. times when other forms of plunder, but rarely yeah. this level, this magnitude of awesomeness, yeah, right? Making it all the way to the kitchen. Making it all the way to the kitchen. So here we see that there could have been other opportunities. He's had other contests. Mm-hmm. He's had other things. But this one matters. This one illustrates something about our main character, about his goals and desires, and about the theme of the book, right? Right, right. So, but so And so here's what's interesting is this, this beautiful balance that narrative requires between the abstract, mm-hmm. he wants education, He this is the theme of the book, and... Um, and the very concrete. The, right now, education looks like this set of coveted encyclopedias. And in order to get it, it's winning this 50-dish contest. Right, right. So I just I think that's important. It's important to hold both those yes. pieces when you're writing. So I would say that it definitely... And then this is where I think when we talk about the beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. So we're starting with a character who wants something. Yeah. By the time he leaves, I think we're on to a different desire. Okay. So, so, so he wants the encyclopedias, and he then he wins. Right. He gets them. He's going to go home with them. Right. And so... So that's really the end of the scene. That's it's what like I'm when saying. he says, I'm leaving, tell my grandmother I'm going to be at home. Right. And so here we see the two different um, goals. Not just tell my grandmother. He's thinking about how she's going to react and see and engage with. And so there he pride. wants he wants to sort of get his his loot home and be able to. Both he's it. putting it up, he's ready for her to enjoy it. He's yeah. going to enjoy her enjoyment of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So so that's so the I would scene. say we have a couple of reasons why the scene has changed. Yes, there's a fantastic revelation after he's home and putting those things away. But that revelation is actually tied to, you know, it would be our, our um, kind of a revelation as we talk about sequence. Mm-hmm. But by the time he's going home, we've changed location and we've changed the goal. Yeah. And so we're in a new scene. And so yeah. sequence, just to clarify, like how, how would you define sequence? Well, for me, a sequence is a set of scenes that are engaging with the same kind of question. And they kind of have a a build. Yeah, so if we imagine that these two scenes were a sequence, the question starts with, um, you know, will Elwood get the encyclopedias? And the answer is yes, but they... Are empty. There's right. a great exercise about you know and asking a question, and then it's either going to be yes, but, or uh, no, and not only that, right? Mm-hmm. It's either going to be like yes, but there's a hitch, or no, and it's going to be worse than you thought, right? That, that, right, that there's right. always a build somehow. Okay, yeah. so um, and so the, so the beginning is when this opportunity comes. The middle is is fighting the fight for it. The end is winning. And he does something so deft here with the. Con- setting us up in this scene as like an adult reflecting on the scenario that this 12-year-old is in, mm-hmm. right? And so we see the, the glances they the give each other, the, other the smiles, yeah. like 
what's changing. Yeah, and so we get a sense like, and it even says like looks that he would interpret later, right? right? So, so we, and that's also great for setting up the revelation because we don't. It's not enough that we l- let go of our own hope mm-hmm. or even totally know what's going on, but when the when it comes, that's that sort of surprising yet inevitable. Mm-hmm. That if he hadn't set it up, it would just seem like, well, why was Pete fighting so hard and what was going on? So it set it up so that we know in the back of our minds there's a something going on there. Right. And so when we get there, we're, we believe it. We go, oh. Yeah. Mm. Mm. All right. Uh, obstacles that thwart the goal, like Pete's unexpectedly good at, like better than he has been at doing the dishes. Well, yeah, Pete continues to, you know, obviously... We know the whole thing's a setup, right? And so Pete has to be good enough to keep him going. In all likelihood, Pete could beat him, right? In real life. <laughs> Maybe. Without apparently. Without yeah. So that these one competitions are in of themselves valueless, right? right? It's so, sort of interesting the way they set up Pete too. Like he he could take a joke, you know, he they people sort a, of directed jokes at him and he was a good loser and all that. So, right. so that I don't know, it's really it again, a deft is a is a good word there. It's well set up that this character part makes of the sense. reason I'm sure it the pulits are yeah. yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> a scene must have reason to be there in the first place, a story purpose. Mm-hmm. And the subcategories of that um, are uh, each scene dramatically delivers new information. If we do see a character doing something we expect them to do, the outcome will be different, mm-hmm. and that in turn moves the story. So we don't need two scenes where someone lies to their partner, unless, for example, one in one it is self-serving and another it's self-sacrificing. So the reader's understanding of the character change. So we're, we're looking for not having repeat beats. Right. And when we've completed the arc of a scene, we know something about our character, however small, that we didn't know before. So let's. what do you think about that one? Well, I... When I think about the character and, and, you know, who the obstacles he runs into, right, and what education means to him and sort of this underlying value all the way through about personal dignity, right? There's this whole thing that goes all the way through. I think this shows us that there's ways in which he is always somewhat naive about what the world is cooking up for him. So in a way, um, he believes the best of people. Mm-hmm. He believes in the ability of education to make things. Now, how does that then not feel end like up, a repeat yeah, beat later? I mean, later, because, yeah. Right, because he does that, I think, because there's new information, right? And maybe so, the stakes keep going up, too. The stakes really Like, if right up. here he'd become very cynical, it would be sad, but it might have saved him a lot of trouble. Right, because we later see him... Right, continuing to pursue education uh, when he gets to the, Nickel right. and the teacher who sort of is like, sure, and then really, you know, maybe is so drunk he doesn't even remember who Elwood is. In some ways, I mean, a lot of the book is about kind of the arc of can you stay believing in people, sort of. Can mm-hmm. you stay kind of, can you keep your core goodness Right? I mean, that's a lot of the arc, and that's this word. Right. Not when you are but. repeatedly, unfairly. Beep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, all right. And then this, the other sort of 
subcategory here about the reason, the story purpose for the scene is when we've completed the arc of the scene, we have moved forward in the story somehow. Either the plot is pushed in a new direction or the consequences slash stakes are raised, which is to say the action needs to be meaningful. Right. Well, I think we see his grandmother responding to him later. Mm -hmm. Uh, We see him feeling very proud. Like he doesn't often. And maybe it even sparks in him. The desire, you know, so we're talking, he, pages, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't become cynical and think I got to watch out for people, mm-hmm. but he, but he does, he deepens this desire to like, to learn, to know, to grow, to have this opportunity. So here's the opportunity. He thinks he has it. It's taken from him. It probably fuels in him a stronger desire that's going to keep him trying. Right. Right. Rather. Right. And with this character, and it's really hard not to talk about the revelation, <laughs> With this character, we repeatedly see him making what he thinks is the right choice. Yeah. And, and, and holding kind of morally, on, being morally, be holding on to these really uh, elevated ideals. He's a romantic in certain ways, right? And so. I will say, just if you haven't read it, read it. Because the. What the, have you been doing with your free time? Because the revelation, the twist or whatever is. So powerful, sort of thematically, and it's you know, and it and it takes something sort of tragic and and turns it into also something very redemptive. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the what this person accomplishes. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. So, um, so just so with those two elements, would you say those give us the story purpose? The reason has to be there in the first place. It's to to sort of seed this this passion and 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 kind of kindle it. And so there's a prologue in the book. And so page 14, where we took this scene from, happens pretty early on in our introduction of the young Yeah, Elwood. the young Elwood starts on page 10. So we sort of have the Martin Luther King record introduced, and, and which is another, like a gift that yep. he learn, you know, learns and grows from. Um, in fact, let me just read the first sentence. Elwood received the best gift of his life on Christmas Day, 1962, even if the ideas it put in his head were his undoing, right? So, I mean, just everything we talked about in terms of premise and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so then after we have a few pages, uh, we kind of lead into this next scene. Yeah. Um, and so we see sort of, yeah, yeah. this build on that. Um, okay. I just actually want to say thank you to you. We, we, we've been doing this focused series and I was just reflecting on how much fun this is like what a pleasure reading is and so often we forget that right like I think our lives are so busy and it's so much easier to just sit there and have something presented to you um, and so it's really fun to sort of dig in and do this kind of deeper reflective look at the words on the page so yeah this yay this is fun so our, our last kind of element that we're looking on is uh, you say, while dialogue isn't required, scene does require an acute focus on significant detail and action. These are the clues that your reader can't get from summary. Right. One of the things about Colson Whitehead is he is almost like deceptively methodical or straightforward. I mean, it's beautifully written, but it's beautifully written because it's sort of pristine. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, he's, he's not throwing around words, nothing purple (laughs) about his prose. Um, but just, you know, Elwood was 12 when the encyclopedias appeared. One of the busboys dragged a stack of boxes into the kitchen and called for a powwow. Elwood squeezed in. I mean, no word is, is out of 
place. I mean, mm-hmm. every word is doing a lot of work. Like we talk about dialogue doing multiple things or and it's like here I think each word is 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 carefully placed. Yeah, it turns out writing really well is hard. <laughs> yeah. There were legends about the valuables that rich white people left in their rooms. But even that is sort of setting up the scene. When we get to the mm-hmm. actual okay. scene, what we see are glances, right? Again, we talked mm-hmm. about this a little bit earlier. Pete mm-hmm. wiped his hands, hands on, on his, his pants. pants. Yep, that one was one that stuck out mm-hmm. to me. Because when we are in a moment, there's a way in which those kinds of simple details give us the verisimilitude, right? We've all been at a sink and, you know, the kind of unthinking ways that you dry your hands to go to the next thing. The You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's the details that make it, we we believe this story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The onlookers made astonished noises. Elwood right. hurried, chasing after the image of the encyclopedias in their front And room. one thing I actually wanted to bring up there is a lot of times we get questions from people about how do you bring in artfully mm-hmm. a flashback or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, Elwood actually is making a flight of fancy, right? He's mm-hmm. picturing a moment that's not in that room. Right. But it is intimately related to his drive, to what is happening in that room. It's, so, it's, and it's what's happening in his mind in this moment, right? Mm-hmm, He's hurrying through the dishes, mm-hmm. chasing this dream, right? right. That, and that is given to us in another image. So, yeah, yeah. So I just, you know, for those who are wondering, how do I present uh, information that doesn't happen in the room during a scene? It has to be intimately linked to what is actually happening in the scene. Here, too, Elwood stuck to the method he'd perfected over the years, mechanistic and gentle. He'd never let a wet plate slip or chipped one by setting it on the counter too quickly. So we get a whole history of his dishwashing method and, you know, experience. Oh, um, and so much about but him. But it's absolutely, right? and it's right, and it's absolutely built into what he's using right now to get him through and to Mm -hmm. get him to his goal, Mm -hmm. right? So that backstory is being called upon by him actively in this moment. That experience is what he's leaning into in order to achieve this goal. Absolutely. And win the contest. And I just want to say, um, he's, Colson Whitehead is an astonishing writer, but I don't imagine this was his first draft. So I I want to... Not his first Pulitzer Prize winning book. So, you know. But I think it's important to remind writers that... This kind of gorgiosity doesn't just happen. That there's work and reflection, that there's multiple opportunities for you to go back and look at your work and say, is this the best detail? Is this the right word for this moment when he's, you know, Elwood squeezing in? Like, there's a way in which we have a lot of no information in this scene, and yet it feels so present because of the choices. Yeah. And I will say, when you go to write, which we encourage you to do now, um, two things. So take just that passion of what it means to be a reader. Like, we're at our absolute kind of best when we're reading, and we're making guesses about what's going to happen, which you need to do when you're writing, too. We're making it, we're we're juggling all the, we're holding on to the details and all of that. And so you bring that, and you just go to the page and trust the page. And then, as you were saying, you can then come back and use this information again in a different way when you're editing. But right now, it's kind of just energy. Mm -hmm. And so go steal Steal this. 